Welcome to the Gather Houston podcast. We are a Christian community practicing the way of Jesus in all parts of life and for the good of all people. Thank you for joining us today. So uh, I thought I would start today this uh, New Year sermon with a confession. Uh, I am not ashamed to admit to you today that I love reality TV. Uh, And I think the pandemic has really solidified that love for reality TV and maybe especially for like really trash reality TV. And maybe uh, you're judging me right now, or maybe you could just be honest about the trash reality TV show you watch. Uh, Maybe you're like really into Selling Sunset and I judge you for that and that's okay. Uh, But I love reality TV and maybe one of, I mean, just, you know, if you split these up into categories, maybe it would be a little tougher. But one of my favorite reality TV shows, at least, uh, is American Idol. I'm a big American Idol guy. I told you I wasn't ashamed and then I had to say it out loud and I'm like, I'm a little ashamed, but I love American Idol, and uh, I know that you know this about American Idol, but at the beginning of the show, there are auditions, and the contestants come out in front of the judges, and they have to they have to audition, and the best judge on American Idol by far is Lionel Richie, 10 out of 10, highly recommend, and uh, Lionel Richie does the same thing uh, with almost every contestant that comes out for these auditions. They walk out, they're super nervous, they stand on their little spot before they sing, and uh, Lionel Richie asks the same question almost every time they come out to stand a little thing. Lionel Richie says, who are you and why are you here? Who are you and why are you here? And for the next eight weeks, uh, we're going to be walking through the book of Genesis together. And that's really the story of Genesis. Who are we? And why are we here? Maybe 3,000, maybe 3,500 years ago, God's people compiled these writings, the book of Genesis, to answer the questions, who are we and why are we here? The book of Genesis, that word Genesis is just uh, taken from the first few words of the book in the beginning. And and the the book is split up into two sections. Chapters 1 through 11 of the book of Genesis are answering who are we and why are we here for like everyone. Like, why, how is all of this here? How did we get to where we are? And then in chapters 12 through 50, kind of zooms in a little further, and it's really about God's people, the Israelites. How did they get to where they are in the world at that specific time? Who are we and why are we here? And to be honest, uh, I was feeling a little nervous about teaching on these things, uh, these kind of meta philosophical texts and ideas because our world is kind of on fire right now, as you know. And it it just felt a little silly. But as I've thought about it, as I've read these texts and prepared, I've been reminded that it won't be cliches or platitudes that get us through the difficulty of this next season. That it will really be a grounded identity and a real purpose that keep us afloat through these next few months. And that's what we get in Genesis. Who are we and why are we here? We get identity and we get purpose. And so we're going to walk through the entire story of Genesis over the next few weeks. But today we're starting with the creation narrative. It's chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis. So what we're going to do is we're going to read a section of Genesis chapter 1. It's a a lot of Bible today. So we're going to read a section of Genesis chapter 1. We're going to talk through it. 
Then we're going to read a section of, of Genesis chapter 2. We're going to talk through it and, and, and kind of go from there. So uh, this is Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Skipping down to verse 26. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind, humankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God saw, saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So I like read. I like reading that. I, uh, it's beautiful. So, but before we do anything else and kind of get into what I think is really happening here, I just want to get a couple things uh, out of the way. So, um, the creation account in Genesis one is split up into days here. So it's a six-day creation narrative, and I don't think that the writer was trying to communicate that God literally took six 24-hour days and created everything in the world. So I, I don't think that's the point of this. Uh, I think these idea of the, the idea of days, I think all of it is a literary device to help us understand time in some way. Because the Bible is not a science textbook. Okay, The Bible is not a science textbook and it should not be used as such that when you read the very first part, there's not even light and darkness yet. There is no concept of day uh, on the first day. So it's a good indicator that maybe these aren't regular 24-hour days. So the Bible's not a science textbook. The Bible is also uh, not, um, uh, not a treatise on human sexuality, right? and we shouldn't use it as such. It's what Genesis 1 has been used as a lot, that somehow... Um, exactly how many days and how people are created becomes the most important thing here. So what is happening here? If it's not a science textbook, and it's not a treatise on human sexuality, what is this? So I really believe that Genesis 1 is a holy reminder that God is our creator and that God sings over us a declaration of our goodness. And so let's just look at uh, our creation, humanity's creation, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image. It's ten words. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image. When God talks about God, we'll just pause right here for just a second. When God talks about God, the pronouns are, are plural. Our and us. Let us make humankind in our image. So just a reminder that God is not a man. God is not a man. God is not a man. God exists 
outside of the spectrum of sexuality and gender and also mysteriously encompasses that spectrum of gender. Right? So what we, what we get here is that God is not a man, but that we are created in the image of God as male and female. It's, it's this idea that God, that when God creates us, that God paints the masterpiece of creation using a mirror that everything is made in the likeness, in the image of God, that you and I are made in the image of God, exactly as we are right now is made in the likeness, in the image of God. God paints the masterpiece of creation using a mirror, and then God calls us good. Good is the refrain of Genesis chapter 1. It's the refrain, it's the chorus of the creation story. If you read it through, God separates the light from the darkness and he calls it good. God makes the animals, he calls them good. God creates us and he calls us good. And then we get to verse 31 at the end. God saw all that he made and it was very good. God saw all that he made, us, and it was very good. We say it every week in our gospel proclamation together at the end of our time. We are created by God and God calls us good. Not just good enough. God doesn't call us has potential. God doesn't uh, call us uh, anything that has conditions or restrictions. God calls us good. We are created by God and God calls us good. We're made in the image of God, the likeness, the reflection of God, and we are declared good. I like to think of it like this. You know, we sing a lot of worship songs here in this space, and we have some online. Uh, we sing songs like, Great Are You, Lord. Or we, uh, we have a song we sing where we just repeat in the chorus. It just says, You are good. You are good. You are good. And I like to think that sometimes God receives that lovingly. We're offering our worship to God that he receives that lovingly and then repeats it back over us. That he sings those same declarations back over us. He sees what he has made and he calls us very good. Genesis 1 is a holy reminder that we are created by God and that God calls us good. So who are we? We are God's good creation. That's who we are. And then in Genesis 2, we get this, um, this second account of the creation story. And it is, uh, it is a poem. It's significantly more poetic. And it feels a lot different from Genesis chapter 1. So we're going to read another little section of Genesis chapter 2. Just stick with me. We'll talk through it and go from there. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. In the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone, and I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every, every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that's what its name was. 
The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the man, there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and he closed it up. It closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So just first off, you can feel the the poetic nature of Genesis chapter 2. It's a different kind of account with a little bit more detail, but you can just feel the shift in literary style that we are formed from the dust of the ground and that God breathed into the nostrils of man the breath of life. It just It is meant to be more uh, poetic. It is poetic, but there's one thing here I really want to point out. So God makes man, he makes Adam from the dust of the ground and he breathes into his nostrils. And it says that, that, um, that he's planted in this garden that God creates. And, and you, likely couldn't have, um, you likely couldn't have found a more beautiful uh, garden, more of a paradise. And then it says in verse 22 that, that, God made a, that God took a rib from Adam and he made it into a woman. Remember, it's poetry. Right? None of this is a science textbook. It's poetry. But Adam was living in a garden paradise with God, with the creator of the universe. He has everything he needs, and he's in, uh, he's in deep, intimate relationship with the divine. Garden paradise with God. And there's still something missing. Right? He had the perfect circumstances but he needed something more. Adam needed human relationship. Genesis 2 gives us this picture uh, of, of why we're here. Right? Not, um, not, not just who we are, like Genesis was, does, that we are all God's good creation, but why we're here. That we are here to live in this interdependence, this interwoven life. With God, yes, and with our surrounding world, Yes, but also with each other. That we need each other. That we are mysteriously interwoven to need more than just the right circumstances and to need more than just a relationship with the divine. We need each other. We are not fully human alone. We need this interconnected, interdependent existing, our flourishing depends on it. That any one of these things, our outer world, our kind of circumstances uh, not being right, yeah, that, that can really harm your flourishing. Things aren't right. When we're not in relationship to divine, to the divine, relationship to God in this spiritual sense, yeah, that can harm your flourishing. But ultimately, we need each other. Adam had the perfect circumstances living with God in a garden paradise, and he didn't have everything he needed. We need each other. Right, so who are we? We are good. And why are we here? We are here to live in and co-create this interdependent harmony with God, with our outer world, and with each other. Now, do, do you see what these creation narratives are showing us? Right, it, it show, they're showing us that we are created good, and that our flourishing requires more than just a relationship to God. And this is so important 
This is so important for us because so much of our religious indoctrination was built around these two ideas, okay? So much of our religious indoctrination was built around these two ideas. We are bad and God is enough. We are bad and God is enough. These are foundational mistruths. I don't want to call them lies because I don't think they were bad intentioned. But these two ideas that so much of our religious indoctrination was built around, we are bad and God is enough. They are foundational mistruths. And we need to unlearn these two ideas. I think the creation narratives help us. From my earliest days in church, that I remember at least, it was ingrained into me that I was a wretched sinner. As a three, four, five-year-old, brokenness was spoken over me. Where we would sing the ABCs of salvation. And as a four-year-old, I would sing together with my class of four-year-olds. A, admit to God you are a sinner. That was the, that was the foundational idea. The ABCs. The A is I am a sinner. It was foundational. But when you go all the way back to Genesis 1, in the beginning, you don't get, I'm a sinner, I'm wretched, and I'm broken. You get, we are very good. No conditions or restrictions. We are very good. We need a new foundation, not built on our own sinfulness and wretchedness and brokenness. We need a foundation that's built on God creating us and loving us and singing over us our goodness and our worthiness. We have to unlearn these ideas. So as a toddler, I was told that I was a a sinner. And then maybe by high school, but definitely by college, I started hearing over and over again this idea that God is enough. God is enough. God is enough. And I understand what people were doing, kind of. I kind of understand the language. I know what people mean. But what ended up happening for me, at least, and maybe for you, is that there was just more shame built in to the system. Because what would happen is I would get uh, lonely, sad, or I would have something difficult happening in my life. And I would do what good church kids do. I would read my Bible. I would pray. I would journal. I would be with God. But it never felt like enough. I was still lonely. I was still struggling. I was doing all the things to be with God, but it felt like God wasn't enough. And so surely it was, had to be my fault because I'm bad. And so I got, I got this message of shame from every single direction. A relationship to God is required, I think, for real flourishing. But God alone isn't enough. We need each other. We are not fully human on our own. Who are we? We are good. We are good. And why are we here? To live in this interwoven, interdependent life with God, with our world, and with each other. We need each other. So there's a a lot here uh, for sure. And I wonder for you, what ideas do you need to unlearn about this creation narrative, about our foundation? For me, it is 
clearly, as I've just described, is clearly uh, that I'm bad and that God is enough. Those are my ideas that I just look at it and I say, I need to unlearn these. These cannot sit as my foundational ideas any longer. Maybe that's true for you. Maybe you need to unlearn those ideas that, I, that we are bad, that God is enough. Maybe you could just be really honest with yourself today. Do you know you're good at your core? Really who you are. Do you know it's good, very good, no conditions or restrictions? And do you know that we need each other? Like even when all the other circumstances are ideal, not just need each other to get where you need to be, not just to use each other, but you need each other to really flourish. This is the story of creation, that we are God's good creation. We are God's masterpiece, and he calls us very good. We are good, and we need each other. There's a a famous quote by a relatively unknown Methodist minister. He said, Uh, No one can whistle a symphony. It takes a whole orchestra to play it. God creates this world that is vast, expansive, beyond reason and explanation, but glorious, beautiful, miraculous, marvelous. God creates it and he calls it very good. And you are God's creation. You are the universe, vast, marvelous, wonderful, interconnected and intertwined, beyond reason or explanation at times, but still wonderful, miraculous, marvelous. And all of us and all of this, we are interconnected, interwoven, in the great symphony of creation. Though marvelous and miraculous on our own, we are unable to truly flourish without the power of the whole orchestra. We need each other. We aren't fully human on our own. You are good. You are good. But we need each other. And so gather, this is my simple prayer for us today. Live deeply within your identity as God's very good creation. And never forget that we need each other. May it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in Gather, check out our website at gatherhouston.org or visit us on Sunday at 10 a.m.